Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, what is critical race theory? What is intersectionality? How many races are there? Are there still systematic injustices in in American law? And if so, where are they? Should reparations be paid for past injustices? What is the Black Lives Matter organization for and against politically? Is there a non-Marxist biblical alternative to Black Lives Matter? And does every black life matter from the womb all the way to the tomb? And for that, I've got a couple of guests today on I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. My friend Neil Mammon, who is the founder of NoBlindFaith.com. He's also written a book called Jesus is Involved in Politics. Why aren't you? Why isn't your church? And uh, Neil is also the co-founder of a new organization called Every Black Life Matters. And in a minute, I'll introduce our our other guest, the other co-founder of Every Black Lives Matter. Neil, how are you today? Good, good. Thank you, Frank. Thanks for having me on your show. It's great to be back. Oh, absolutely. And uh, your book, by the way, I've gotten a lot out of your book that Jesus is involved in politics. Why aren't you? Why isn't your church? Can you kind of give an overview of of that book before we get into the subject today? Because I think it's a very good book, especially in election season. Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, well, part of the, the the conflict that we have as Christians is whether we should be involved in the world of politics. And my uh, answer to that is quite simple. If we weren't, if Christians weren't involved in politics, then slavery, child abuse, child prostitution, temple prostitution, uh, even the uh, cruel treatment uh, of animals, all these would still be legal. And it's only because Christians got involved in politics that that and thousands of other laws over history, over time, have been changed. And so I always say, if we we Christians don't get involved in politics, how hateful can we be? How unloving can we be? Mm. And Christians need to be involved in politics precisely because there's injustice in the world. And I also talk about how Jesus was actually involved in politics because his politicians, despite what we think, were actually the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those were the legislators of his days, and he was involved with them on a daily basis. Absolutely. And your uh, website, noblindfaith.com, is a great apologetic site. For those of you that don't know, check out Neil at noblindfaith.com. My other guest is Kevin McGarry. He's an entrepreneur. He's an author. He's a public speaker. He's chairman of the federal, or sorry, the Frederick Douglass Foundation in California. He's written a brand new book. I'm going to see what this book means. I haven't read it yet, It's but it's called The War on Women from the Root to the Fruit. And Kevin is also the co-founder of Every Black Lives Matters. Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you? Well, thank you for having me, Frank. It's a real honor and privilege to be here. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great. I'm doing great. Tell us about this new book, The War on Women from the Root to the Fruit. What's that about? Well, it's it's all about, you know, we hear so much about the war on women. We hear a lot of radical feminists uh, and we've seen a lot of marches with women uh, going up and down. And uh, I was doing a little study because I was preparing to to do a sermon on the following day. 
And I uh, had a different translation open to Genesis 3.15 one day and realized uh, that depending on translation, most translations say enmity, but uh, basically uh, God says, and there will be war in this particular translation uh, between you, he's talking to the serpent, and the woman and her offspring. So this is basically God given the consequences for the rebellion in the Garden of Eden. Mm. Uh, and then from that, uh, I, I took that and I thought, oh my goodness, there is a literal war. Because I've always been cynical and and dismissive uh, when people say war on women. And uh, based on current nomenclature, uh, there it's easy to be cynical and dismissive of it. But when you actually look at uh, a literal war, a spiritual war, a war that was uh, actually confirmed by God himself in the Garden of Eden, you begin to see that there's two distinct, uh, you know, sides of the war. The war is being waged, has been waged for all of, uh, you know, humanity. Uh, and it actually pours out today's social cultural uh, chaos actually, you know, culminates or it actually is a uh, a response to this war has been played out for, you know, for centuries. So it's uh, it's an incredible read. It fully illuminates and deconstructs the war on women in, in a way that helps uh, Christians, people of faith to uh, fully understand what we're up against, how it's to be waged, how it's to be fight, which side are we on, all of those things. I also delve into critical race theory, black liberation theology, uh, and other, uh, and intersectionality, and other very uh, controversial social cultural movements uh, in this book because it's all connected. And uh, so it's you know I would encourage all your listeners to just go to you know uh, the Amazon and uh, get the book. It's an incredible read. All right. Well, let's um, let's do this because. We're going to talk about the race issue today, and this should not matter to the conversation. But in case you're wondering, we have a white guy on the show, a black guy on the show and an Indian on the show. OK, just so everybody knows. OK, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're having <laughs> we are having a, a diverse group of people here from different ethnicities. In fact, let me start with the, with the one question. How many races are there, Neil? <laughs> well, yes, there are multiple ethnicities on this call and multiple mm-hmm. cultures on this call, but only one race. There is only one race, scientifically speaking, and that is a human race. Our DNA doesn't differentiate in any substantial way from each other. The only difference is the level of our pigment. I mean, in fact, you could say uh, that if somebody has bigger ears, they're a different race. If you're just going to use the level of one part of your DNA to determine whether one is part of one race or another. So there isn't any significant difference between us. But there are multiple cultures. In fact, you could have the same ethnicity. So ethnicity is like where your your national origin is or where your uh, your cultural, I mean, where your origin of, of uh, from where you came from. But at the same time, you could have a different culture. And, and one of the examples I use is like if you take an African-American child who grew up in the inner city, he will have a completely different culture than an African-American child who grew up in a family in Uh, say, Silicon Valley, where his father was an engineer. Same ethnicity. They're both black by by their skin tone, but they have completely different cultures, completely different views on outlooks on life. And so that is something that we see a difference of, but there is no racial difference between us. And actually, I think you can get canceled now in the general uh, culture for saying 
there's one race, the human race. Nobody <laughs> yeah. wants that truth to come out anyway. Right. Uh, now, Kevin, there obviously everyone understands there's an organization out there called Black Lives Matter. What do they stand for and can Christians support them? Well, you know, fundamentally, uh, Black Lives Matter is anti-family. They, they are, even though they've scrubbed it from their website, they are anti-nuclear family. They're anti-fatherhood. They don't believe that fathers need to be a part of the nuclear family. Uh, they're anti, uh, they're anti-free markets and capitalism. They're anti-police. Uh, they are anti, um, uh, almost, you know, anti-God, actually. I mean, they've been burning Bibles. Uh, they've been saying F uh, Jesus and F your white Jesus. They've been uh, attempting to burn down churches. They've been uh, storming churches uh, and interrupting services. So they're, they're also anti-God. So, you know, there's a big difference between Black Lives Matter and, uh, and what we've started, which is every Black Life Matters uh, and the reason why we actually started is because we saw that there was still a dearth of support, help, and uh, and 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 uh, partnership with the black community that would actually encourage uh, a more successful outcome. Uh, black Lives Matter is strictly concerned with police brutality, and especially if it's a white policeman on a uh, a black uh, patron. But w- what we are concerned with are the entire. Uh, f- all phases of black life from the womb to natural death and everything in between. So that's a big distinction and that's what we do. Well, let's unpack it when we get back from the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. My guest is Neil Mammon and Kevin McGarry. They both started a new organization called Every Black Life Matters. And we'll talk more about that and many other things right after the break. Don't go anywhere. Friends, can you help me with something? Can you go up to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star review? Why? It will help more people see this podcast and therefore then hear it. So if you could help us out there, I'd greatly appreciate it. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek and the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. And we are today talking to both Neil Mammon and Kevin McGarry. They are both co-founders of a brand new organization uh, called Every Black Life Matters. And uh, the website for that, Neil, is what? It's www.everyblm.org or everyblm.com. Either Either way. Okay. Yeah. Now, Neil, you've been on the street. I've seen you talk about this. In fact, I think you were in front of the Supreme Court not long ago. Uh, The Bongino report had a video of you up there discussing a conversation you had with somebody who was protesting uh, as, you know, they're holding up Black Lives Matter signs. And you went up to them and had a conversation. What happened? Yeah, well, I mean, the the thing about BLM is that they come in many shades, but right. some of these uh, BLM protesters are not violent. They're just there because they actually believe in this cause. And when you identify the nonviolent kind, you can actually have a conversation with them. Unfortunately, anything you say will be construed to mean that you're a racist, even if you're mm-hmm. black, which is quite interesting. Uh, so most people say, well, all lives matter as a counter to 
Black Lives Matter. And that is seen as racist. Why? Because, well, the idea being that if uh, if you let black people die, then all lives don't matter. And that's the focus and so on and so forth. But anyway, so what we decided is we've got to take it a step further. And that's what we're all about is, look, if black lives matter, then every black life matters. And so I went up to them and I just had a conversation and said, do you believe that black lives matter? Well, of course, they're going to say yes. So then I said, well, if you believe all uh, black lives matter, do you believe that every black life matters? Now, they pause there because they kind of think, oh, well, OK, he's going to fool us here. And, and I am, but <laughs> not in the way they think. <laughs> but they can't say no. How can they say no? Right. They're kind of stuck. So they nodded. And then I said, well, do you think it's important that we save every black life? And did you know that 52 percent of all pregnancies end in abortion in the black community? 52%. If you look at live births versus abortions, 52% and in pregnancies. Do you think that that black life matters? Because if you realize that 30% of all African-Americans have been killed in the womb, is that an important statistic? And they look at you and they go, yeah, I said, so it doesn't matter. Black lives in the womb matter, right? And then I say, well, do you think that black lives in inner cities matter? Do you think that the fact that we have so much gang warfare and economic problems and plight there, don't you, does that matter to you? He goes, yeah, well, do you know that that's caused because there's fatherlessness? There's no father in the home because our welfare laws have chased the father out of the house. So do you think that black life matters? And they kind of nod their head. That's right. And I said, well, do you think that a black kid who grows up in the inner city has a lousy school gang infested should be able to get a good education. So they're not there. I said, well, then obviously educational choice matters. And then at the end of that, I said, well, in that case, you actually agree with me that every black life matters, don't you? And they nodded their head. And I said, well, here's a badge. And I gave them all badges to wear that said every black life matters. Well, you just hit on the three things that I personally think are disadvantaging minorities. One is the school system. So school choice is necessary, in my view. Second is the welfare system that you mentioned. We're actually encouraging people to have children out of wedlock, which is a disaster right. for the children. It's and also chases, a disaster for for the society. Right. Uh, and it chases those, the father out of the home, right? Yeah, it because does. It, and and it, it, we've got to come up with another solution because that's not working <laughs> at all. And the third big problem is the other one you mentioned, which is probably the top problem, is really abortion. In fact, in 2011, last stats I saw, more people, more black people were killed by abortion than all other causes of death combined. Yep. And yeah, as you yep. know, Planned wow. Parenthood has set up their their abortuaries near or in minority neighborhoods. And it's tragic what's going on. Now, Kevin, um, you mentioned that your book, The War on Women, talks a little bit about critical race theory. Uh, People have heard the term, but they don't really know what it is. What is it? It's uh, it, well, OK, so it has many facets. In a nutshell, fundamentally, it's a uh, theory that basically says you're you have the right to speak and be heard if you have, you know, sort of oppression, uh, you know, some sort of oppression points. Hmm. Your oppression points are earned if you are black, then you will be heard. You will be listened to. If you're a black uh, LGBT woman, then you have more oppression points than just a black male. If you're a black LGBT woman with, uh, uh, that's been incarcerated, then you're the one that's to be listened to and heard uh, more so than any of the other. So it, it sort of, it, it, it intersections uh, various oppressive points 
it assigns those and it gives you the ability then to be spoken heard. If you're a white uh, male Christian, you're at the back of the room and you're never to be heard. Mm. Um, and so it's really a racist. Um, it, it's the it's the inculcating of a racist theme um, that really tries it, it really flips the script and, and attempts to shut up, if you will, uh, all, uh, all people who have, who are a little bit melanin deficient, uh, comparison in comparison to others. And it gives the others who have, uh, you know, heretofore maybe have been oppressed in some ways, the ability to be spoken, uh, to, to speak and to be heard and to be, uh, taken seriously. So it, it's, there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, Neil studied it for years and you go into more detail about it, but in essence, at the end of the day, that's the kind of arcane, uh, ridiculous, racist kind of mechanism that it is. And believe it or not, a lot of churches are adopting it. And that's the real sad part of it. Neil, what Kevin just said there seems to be completely at odds with the Bible and completely at odds with Dr. Martin Luther King, who said, let's judge people on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. They're reversing this, it seems. Well, not only are they reversing it on on the ballot this uh, in California, there is a idea to bring back uh, racial uh, consideration. In other words, they want to bring back the idea that we can judge and give you special benefits depends on your race, depending on your race. I mean, the fact that the the legislator is trying to do that is actually surprising, because that's exactly what we've done. We've decided to go back from. Uh, a, a colorless society to a colored society where we judge people based on their, their skin. Now, here's what's very dangerous about this. And I always tell my friends, I said, look, if you're a minority, this should scare you. Let me tell you why it should scare you. Because in the past, the majority always has the upper hand. So until you're a majority, the the, uh, the majority will have a ha upper hand. And at some point, if they think they can judge you based on the color of the skill now to give you benefits, one day they will use that same precedence of the law to judge you based on the color of the skin to take away things from you. Do not be fooled. The masses always win out. And until you're the majority, you are going to suffer. It's very important that we keep this law so that nobody's judged on the color of skin, even if you get a few benefits now, because guess what? Later on, it'll turn against you. Actually, it's not just in the California Democratic Party. It is literally in the national platform that the Democrats have put out. You can just Google this and they will tell you in their platform that they want to use race as a means of differentiating people in society. I'm looking for it right now in the platform. I read it earlier. Um, wow. In fact, I'll look at it. I'll look at it over the yeah, break yeah. and I'll read it to you guys later. It's actually in the Democratic platform that, that, wow. that they want wow. to revert back to using race as a means of differentiation in the law, which is exactly what we ought to be against. And that's what we fought for. Exactly. Years. Right. I mean, what was the civil rights all fight yeah. all about? Right. Well, Kevin. And if um, you well, let me add one more thing. And here's ahead, the danger. If, if if you take one minority and you highlight them and make them uh, more privileged than another minority, than uh, anybody else, guess what? You're going to get a reaction to that. So right now, as I say, you know, the KKK and the, uh, the white supremacists, I mean, they number, I looked at the stats, the FBI says they number less than 5,000 people in the, all of America, right? Uh, 
and, and they don't have much of a presence because nobody wants to join them. But the minute you start pushing uh, one race as higher than another race, special privileges, guess what? People are going to flock to these groups and they're going to grow their membership. Why? As a reaction to what's going on. You don't want this to happen because it will cause problems. It will cause separation of the races. And that's the last thing you want to do. Sorry, Kevin, you were going to say something. Jump in. Yeah, so so it's not only part of the Democrat platform, it's also part of a lot of denominations that are now fully adopting and accepting critical race theory as they they try to say it's just to be studied from sort of an academic perspective so we can understand, but fundamentally it's seeping into our theology and it is a toxic theology when you try to mix this into the gospel. It is um, a bastardized, toxic gospel. And it is not something that we can accept or that we should accept uh, one iota. Paul gave us a very, very strong admonition in Galatians 1.8. And then it was so strong, he had, he, 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 he pr- pretty much uh, said the exact same thing in Galatians 1.9, verse after verse. But basically he said, look, I don't care if there's angels in heaven that try to give you another gospel than what we have preached if anyone or any being or anybody tries to give you another gospel than what we have preached, they are to be accursed. They are accursed. And just think of how many curses now we're heaping on our parishioners and our churches because we are trying to mix a gospel that's antithetical to what, what the gospel that we believed uh, into our current, uh, our current theology. It's, it really is an, an anathema. So. Well, that's where we are right now, ladies and gentlemen. But we, we, we do have to acknowledge, uh, Kevin, let me ask you about this. Quite obviously, our country has had a very poor record uh, in race relations, and there were systematic injustices. I mean, there was redlining, obviously, Jim Crow, and of course, before that, slavery. So we have to have a conversation about this. Do those inequities still exist somewhere? Or are there, because we hear about systematic racism all the time, and I've been asking a lot of people about it. Okay, exactly where is it now? We know where it was in the past. Where is it now? And, and yes. we're, we're, we're going to take a break here soon, so we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. But where is it now? Yeah, so I could, I could start, or do you want to wait for the break? No, start. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So, there, so I, I took a look on the term systemic And uh, when you actually look at it and define it, systemic means up, down, in and out, through and through. That means an organization or entity that pretty much everybody affiliated with it has this sort of systemic view of something. So systemic racism, in order for us to actually say that that exists, we have to find organizations that are, you know, upholding that through and through. Uh, Law enforcement is not systemically uh, racist because it cannot be. Uh, there's too many minorities that make up a big portion of the labor force within law enforcement. All right, hold the, the thought, Kevin. We're going to come right back. We're you talking bet. to Kevin McGarry and Neil Mammon about Black Lives Matter, racism, institutional or systematic racism. What are the solutions here? Critical race theory. We're getting all into it. I'm Frank Turek. We're back in just two minutes. Don't go anywhere. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. Next week, October 18th, I'll be privileged to be speaking at all the services of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. My friend, the great Jack Hibbs is the pastor there. This is going to be the topic. Does Jesus trump your politics? Does <laughs> Jesus trump your politics? If you can't be there, it will be streamed live on the Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills website. So we're going to get into some of what we're talking about here uh, and just before the break, uh, we were talking to both Neil Mammon and uh, Kevin McGarry. They are founders, co-founders of Every Black Life Matters. And uh, you should check out their website because they're for the fact that every black life from the womb to the tomb matters in every instance. It's not a very narrow approach that the Marxist BLM organization takes. And before the break, Kevin, you were mentioning that you don't see racial um, systematic injustice in law enforcement. Let me add a stat from 2019. In 2019, nine unarmed black men were killed by cops and 19 unarmed whites were killed by cops. If this is good data, it does not seem to show systematic injustice. And by the way, unarmed is, uh, is a squishy term. Yeah, he may not have had a gun or a knife, but maybe he had a brick, you know. Uh, so right. it doesn't appear from that data anyway that there's a racial disparity there. But you were saying that you don't see that in law enforcement. Why not? Right. So so if we just take their definition, basically, most of the left has defined that you cannot be racist if you're a minority because you don't have power. So if we just take them at their term that minorities cannot be racist and realize that systemic means through and through, throughout the system, everybody has to have this sort of same mindset, then that means that uh, that law enforcement in general cannot be racist because you have a greater proportion of minorities. If you look at back office administration mm -hmm. and uh, patrol officers, you have a greater percentage of minorities making up your law enforcement throughout the country. And so it cannot be systemic because the, the at least half the force uh, or more and, mo and most all jurisdictions cannot be racist because by definition they are minority. So let's just assume that. So I, I wanted to do a sincere look because I did want to, to see if I could discover any particular institutions or ent entities that are still around today that are systemically racist. And so what I did is I did an intentional look and I did find two entities. So uh, let me give you the background and history of one. One started in the early 1800s. And uh, basically that once they started, they began to put up progressive judges. When they put up their progressive judges and, and nominated and made sure that they had progressive judges in place, uh, they assured that the Jim Crow laws and the Black Codes and the Dred Scott decision and all of those others were uh, were passed and or upheld in order to uphold slavery. They uh, wanted to assure that Blacks were fully enslaved. 
Then they uh, made sure that they put in additional progressive judges. So when their military arm, and in those days it was the KKK, when their military arm, uh, the KKK, lynched, maimed, and killed blacks, that they would actually be able to escape justice. So they had their their sort of favored judges who would basically let these KKK members go. Then they, uh, after Reconstruction, they segued into uh, segregation, and then they segued into eugenics. And then they began to partner with an organization that was actually literally started in order to exterminate blacks. And I'll tell you more about that organization here in a second. That organization then assured that blacks would not have equal access to education. That organization to this very day uh, is around and uh, should be held accountable. That organization should be fully defunded because of their history and their current uh, status, which upholds systematic injustices towards black. That organization is the Democrat Party. And I don't say that from a political perspective. I say that matter of fact. You can go historically and validate every claim made. Well, historically, they may try and push that under the rug, but they'll say, no, we've learned now and now we're for black equality. Where are they not, Kevin? Well, they're not in the womb. Um, Fundamentally, the second organization that uh, that is systemically racist, their founder said, we don't want the word to get out that we want to start Planned Parenthood in order so that we would exterminate the Negro population. That was a Margaret Sanger quote. Um, that organization has uh, then proceeded to have most of their abortion mills strategically located in the black community, even though blacks only make up 13 percent of the population, of which only six and a half are female, of which only three percent of those are childbearing age, 15 to 44. So for an effective three percent demographic, you have an entire business model established where 90% of their abortion mills are in urban black communities. That doesn't make sense. If they were all about just women in general, providing women uh, healthcare and what they say that they're all about, they would use the model of Walmart. Uh, Walmart has already done the demographic research. They cater to the majority of women across the country. You would just base, basically place a Planned Parenthood on the back end of every Walmart if you were catering to all women in general. But instead of that, they put them strategically in urban communities, black communities and brown communities mostly, in order to exterminate blacks. They're carrying out Margaret Sanger's vision and goals to the T. So that organization actually came out as systemically racist. They, uh, they outed themselves. They said, Margaret Sanger, we're denouncing her. She was a racist. We have been racist. And, um, and we have been putting our, our facilities in uh, with a higher concentration of black communities. That was Planned Parenthood of New York. Now, if black lives really mattered, it seems like black lives matter. Since you have an organization that admitted their systemically racist uh, machinations, it seems to me that you have been marching, rallying, protesting every Planned Parenthood across the country over the past 30 or so days since they admitted that. But no, no, they're still partners with Planned Parenthood. Yeah, blacks comprise 13% of the population, but account for 38 or so percent of the abortions, ladies and gentlemen, as Neil mentioned earlier. Neil, I found that quote in the Democratic platform for those that 
think I'm making this up. Um, you can go to page 40 of the Democratic platform and read this. Democrats are committed to standing up to racism and bigotry in our laws, in our culture, in our politics, and in our society, and recognize that race-neutral policies are not sufficient to rectify race-based disparities. And then they go on to say how they're going to embed racial justice in every element of society. What's your reaction to that, Neil? Well, as I said, I think the problem is it's going to cause a reaction from people who are not thinking clearly and end up being and and draw them into the white supremacy organizations. That's the first thing. The second thing is when you start making special privileges for special people, you're not really helping them. The idea of America and the reason why America and the reason why I came to America as an immigrant who wanted to come here is because I knew I could be free to do my own thing, not because there were handouts. And when you start giving people handouts, they start becoming dependent. If I wanted to ruin a minority group, if I wanted to make sure that they were always dependent on me, that I could always control them, I would start giving them free handouts and make them completely dependent on me. In fact, this is the problem that we're seeing over and over again. We keep it get a group of people and we say, look, we'll feed you, we'll take care of you, we'll provide you free healthcare, free food, free this, free housing and all that. And guess what happens to them? Look what happened to the American Indians, right? I'm, I'm an American Indian, but not that kind of, the Native American Indians, right? Look mm -hmm. what happened to them. I, I, do we look at them and say, oh, look, the government provided everything for them and what an amazing thing they're doing. Okay, except for the casinos, right? But, and even that, it's only certain families that uh, are are, are benefiting from that. So I think you can see over and over again that whenever the government comes in and starts giving you free things or special privileges, it hurts you. I think of back in the uh, 70s when they said, oh yeah, we'll give free housing. We'll, they had the projects and they, 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 the density of people in a poor economic system in the projects was horrible. I mean, anyone growing up in the projects, and Kevin might talk, be able to talk more about that. Uh, I mean, it destroyed lives because they weren't around anybody else except gang warfare, fights. Uh, I mean, it was just poverty all around. There was no economic incentive um, or economic example of people who made their way out of it except in gangs. So I think it's very dangerous. Let's talk uh, also, and by the way, we're talking to both Neil Maman and Kevin McGarry, their organization, which you should go check out because it's a biblical version of Black Lives Matter, because Black Lives do matter, obviously. Their uh, website is everyblm.com, everyblm.com. Check them out there. Neil, uh, what's obviously, it would be crazy to deny this, but blacks in America have over this, you know, over 150, 200 years of our history have have had difficulty because of systematic racism. There's no question about it. So speak to the issue of reparations. People are talking about that. Shouldn't we try and at least start people even with everybody else? What about reparations? Actually, I'm going to let Kevin answer that because he's got a great no, Kevin, I'm sorry. One. That's right. Yeah. 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 So uh, I think we can and should have the conversation on reparations. If you consider that reparations are a form of restitution, if you go to court and uh, somebody runs over somebody and hurt, hurts or harms somebody, mm -hmm. that individual is then, especially if they have means, they are then held accountable and asked to pay restitution and reparations. The same way with the United States, we had... Um, we had a, a particular uh, plight on all or all black Americans, African-Americans in the 1800s. It's called slavery. 
And we had one fundamental institution that upheld slavery, encouraged slavery, and kept slavery as long as they could. That one institution should be held fully accountable for the slavery and the harms that they caused on the black uh, community, even to this very day. Um, here's the thing. We had a lot of people fighting in the Civil War. Over 750,000, by some estimates, uh, Americans died one side or the other. The majority, overwhelming majority, 99 plus percent were white. Uh, what do you say to those families that were northern abolitionists who had their family give up their blood treasures in order to secure freedoms for what we have today as blacks? You don't then do a double jeopardy on them and say, look, we want more restitution from you, even though they've they've lost loved ones in the Civil War fighting for blacks. So what you have to do is go to that individual entity that provided uh, for slavery. That entity is a Democrat party. We need to get reparations from the Democrat party. If we're serious. Kevin, the Democrats aren't going to like that opinion. <laughs> we'll see what kind of mail we get from this. Historically, we're talking accurate. to Kevin I'm, McGarry. I'm I know, I know, I know what you're saying. We're talking to Neil Mauman of everyblm.com. Check them out. We got more with them right after the break. I'm Frank Turek. Don't go anywhere. We're back in two. Friends, Frank Turek here. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. So if you like what you hear here, would you consider donating to crossexamined.org? 100% of your donations go to ministry. 0% to buildings. We're completely virtual. So if you can help us out, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, this show's going to generate some mail. <laughs> Hello at crossexamine.org is our is our email address. If you want to send in a comment or a question, I'll try and get back to questions here one of these days. We're talking to both Kevin McGarry and Neil Mammon. They are the co-founders of everyblm.com. You can check them out there. Uh, just so everyone knows where Kevin is coming from, uh, Kevin, you just gave a very provocative proposal that reparations should go to uh, blacks in this country, but the money should come from the Democratic Party because they were the ones that were basically perpetuating slavery and Jim Crow and everything else uh, for decades and decades. Tell people where you came from. Where did you grow up? What's your history? And how did you come to these opinions? that you hold now? Yeah, very good. Uh, so I was born in abject poverty. I was born in uh, Hunters Point in San Francisco, Hunters Point Project. So I understand that life. Uh, we then moved to a middle-class neighborhood, lower middle-class neighborhood, and I was uh, really a boy from the hood, kind of doing you know basic stuff in the city of San Francisco during the, you know, the 70s. And um, so I, I, I lived the life. I understand it. Uh, I understand it to such a degree. I went to college and got a, uh, received a sociology degree. So I understand the left's perspective to a T. It is not something that I'm insensitive to or just don't understand. I've lived poverty. I've, 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 I've lived leftism and liberalism to the T. I get it. Um, but here's what happened. When I began to take my faith seriously, there was a there was a, a pivot point for me. And it wasn't that I was looking for one. It was that the God revealed it to me. It's like he lifted a veil on me and my wife. And he said, look, you know, this is great that you want to be a disciple in all these other domains, all these other areas. But, you know, this thing here, this is not this doesn't really match. And trust me, I was not looking for that. This was a surprise. And by God's grace, lifted the veil. and I was able to see. And I, then I began to look at the policies and really realized that in none of the policies 
for my liberalism, my Democrat, you know, uh, you know, dependence at that time really lined up with actually helping the black community. It was like, wow, this is it was really thoroughly illuminating. And then from that point, you know, we've 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 been uh, conservatives. I don't like to even say that I'm a, a you know, a GOP or a Republican per se, because I, I really will vote for anybody as long as it aligns with with my theology, with the word of God. Mm-hmm. Not even my theology, but the word of God, period. It's his theology. So so um, so that's where I've come from. And um, and so from that, the Lord's helped me to really understand at the core, get to the bottom line of issues, the bottom line of systemic racism, the bottom line of reparations is there is a particular entity that we can hold accountable. No one wants to address that issue. And it's because that particular entity actually has captivated the hearts and the minds of so many people. And we now hold that entity above the word of God in most cases. Uh, The Democrat Party is the new religion. And we should all, you know, be taking a strong look at our, our, our life and our commitment to that party and actually do a serious introspection as to whether that party has uh, preeminence over the word of God in our own lives. Uh, I've seen it, I know it does, for a lot of Democrat Christians. And uh, this is an area that we have to address. We have to get mm. to the, the core of this. Yeah, I think some, some Republicans can do the same thing, too. <laughs> they, can, Absolutely. they can put the party Absolutely. over the word of God. And we don't want to do that either. And one thing I do want to say here, I said this on the last podcast when I talked about Alexander Solzhenitsyn's uh, 1978 address to Harvard. Despite the fact that you might have very dramatic political differences with someone on the other side of the aisle, no matter which side of the aisle you're on, you always need to remember that the other person is made in the image and likeness of God. You need to treat that person with respect. You have more in common with with that person then you don't have in common. Yeah, you may have very little in common politically, but that's another human being over there. So uh, as I said on the last show, those of you that were really upset, as we all were, with the tone of the first presidential debate that both Biden and Trump were going at one another and throwing mud all over one another and interrupting one another, Biden and Trump acted better than most people act on social media. (laughs) So... We saw something in them we didn't like. We ought to reflect on ourselves and say, are we acting that way every day on social media? Because if we are, we need to knock it off. Now, Neil, um, how can people get involved in everyblacklifematters.com? And what, what, what else do you stand for? In fact, you've, you've got a list on your website. Maybe you can plow through some of that so people know really what you stand for. Okay, so basically there are uh, a number of tenants on our homepage that kind of talk about what we stand for, and that is real justice from womb to the tomb, nuclear family, active fatherhood, free markets, and I don't think we have time to get into that, educational choice, which we've talked about, and one that we added recently is nonviolence. It obviously became very apparent to us that that had to be there, nonviolence. Right. So those are the principles that we stand for. So let me ask you, answer your other question, how can uh, people get involved in help? Well, there are the easy things. The easy things are spread the word, share our page on Facebook, join our Facebook page. So it's everyblm.com. If you just type that into your Facebook comment, it'll actually pull it up. Uh, Sign up for our newsletter. 
Yeah. Wait, Sorry. if you try and search for this on Google, you will not find it. Why? You will not find it uh, because I think Google hates us. But if you look on <laughs> DuckDuckGo, you will find it. So okay. I, I don't know what the algorithm that Google is using just yet, but uh, maybe as more people look for it, it will. But right now, you it's everyblm.com. 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 So then mm -hmm. sign up for our newsletter. And then, of course, you can wear our t shirts. You can buy them online to spur the conversation. We want this to get out there. We want the word out there. Get lawn signs. We're, we're soon going to have lawn signs and you can take them as placards to rallies if you're going to a rally take them with you especially if you expect to see blm protesters and remember if somebody says black lives matter your response is precise you says yes every black life matters from the womb to the tomb do you agree with me Right. And then uh, second, you can invite us to speak at your church. We do something called an Every Black Life Matters Sunday, where we talk about you can be how you can become ambassadors for reconciliation, not capitulation. And uh, we actually have had people come up to us in tears telling us how it has really changed. And one lady said she hadn't slept for 45 days because of some strife within her family. Uh, you know, uh, and she she said that for the first time after our talk, she was able to actually relax knowing that she was doing the godly thing. Uh, the other thing is invite us for training at your company. If you own a company, we come in and we do a training. And it's not like a BLM training. We're not going to teach you Marxism. We're going to actually teach you about solving the real problems. We've uh, been invited to city halls to talk. Uh, we've talked to, uh, if you have a local political group, we will come out there and talk to you and teach you all about this. So get on our website and ask us to connect contact with you. Number three, uh, learn, and this is the tough one, learn how to engage with BLM protesters. I, you know, I mentioned that uh, the first part of it, but you can also learn, uh, we have a video on the site that you can watch where I actually talk about how to respond to them. And I kind of mentioned that earlier, where you're actually engaging with them and you're saying, do you care about this? Do you care about this? Do you care about the black lives, your educational choice, things like that. And then the hardest one is get involved in changing the laws. Uh, if we are going to get school choice, we're going to have to get those voucher programs out there. You've got to vote for the right people who will do that. You've got to write letters. We need pro-life reps if we're going to stop abortion and Planned Parenthood from decimating the African-American uh, ethnic group. And then we need to change the welfare laws. And with the welfare laws, while I don't like welfare as a principle, I think the church should take care of the poor. Uh, since we have welfare laws right now the welfare laws need to be changed so the father is not kicked out of the home because the mother will the mother in in welfare gets more money if there's no father in the home and that should not be the case that should never be the case in fact she should be rewarded if they're a unique intact family so there are many things like that and go to our website and uh, find out more and get involved kevin that last thing that that neil just mentioned is a difficult problem um what happens if there is no father in the home how do we take how do we somehow help that woman to take care of that child? I mean, would, would she abort that child then if we don't give assistance? I mean, it is a difficult problem. I don't know the right answer to it. What, what, what's your view on that? Yeah, well, uh, you know, Frank, the question about where welfare reforms is a multifaceted uh, question. There are there are so many uh, facets and aspects to welfare reforms. Now we have uh, Dr. Ben Carson at HUD who has attempted over the past three and a half years to actually do something about it. He's come up with various uh, sort of, uh, of, of initiatives that have incrementally made some differences, but it, you know, just uh, working with, I think our local legislatures, making sure that we have 
people in place who are lawmakers at the state level and and national level uh, who are actually uh, level-headed. I mean, we have one of the biggest issues is we have so many people in place right now who are in, who are who have control of the levels levers of power that really are not thoughtful, and they're not very uh, prudential in the way that they think about these types of issues. And so we have this sort of creeping welfare behemoth. And the problem's never really being solved or appropriately addressed. So we need to be better at it. Um, and I think that we need to have smart people to kind of look at the the issue from all the different facets to come up with better ideas for how to do that incrementally. Yeah, it's a tough problem. It would seem like you'd have to wean people off these direct payments initially before you had something else. Anything to add to that, Neil? Yeah, I mean, it, there's obviously uh, lots of local churches that we would want to work with that you should work with. There's uh, working, ministering to the inner city. There's mentorship programs. Uh, one of the things that we argue for is, uh, you know, all these companies are sending millions and millions of dollars to BLM and it's going for nothing. I mean, instead, what they should be doing is they should be taking that money and working with inner city kids, setting up programs where, you know, take, take a company like Amazon. Amazon isn't really a, a brick and mortar store, even though they have lots of facilities, but really what it is, it's an incentive for entrepreneurs. Why not take some of their highest selling Amazon people and say, look, we're going to uh, we're going to incentivize you to go in and work with these inner city kids to help them start an online company and maybe work with you as partners or something. I mean, look at that great opportunity there. Uh, the entrepreneurship or inner city, you don't need a stock room. You don't need anything. You just have to be able to figure out how to do the market. And those are the kind of things we want to see people do. We want uh, churches involved, big brother, big sister programs. These are the kind of things that will replace that missing father. All right. Well, thanks so much. That's Neil Mammon and Kevin McGarry, the organization EveryBLM.com. That's EveryBLM.com. Check it out there. And don't forget, you're a political opponent. It's made in the image of God. So treat them with respect. I'm Frank Turek. Don't forget, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, Sunday, uh, Sunday the 18th. See you there. God bless. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.